As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. and barrels. It is Tuesday, May 16th. Project Prospect Edition. Derek Reiber, Saris, Chris Welsh all here with you. On this episode, we discuss the recently promoted shortstop in Cincinnati, Matt McClain, making his big league debut this week. So another addition to this class of rookie shortstops. We'll take a quick look at the latest stat cast feats of one Casey Schmidt, who is so much better than I estimated looking at his Fangraphs page. So Humble pie for me. We'll talk about the Yuri Perez debut and another Marlin starter that could be on the way later this summer. We got a few mailbag questions as well. So let's get to it. Let's begin with Matt McClain. Yet another rookie shortstop comes up. Really impressive numbers at AAA. And really, when you look at what he's done so far, level by level in the minor leagues, it was the most successful of his stops in the minor leagues. If you want to just count high A, double A, and triple A. Uh, strikeout rate down compared to where it was last year. Matt McClain has walked everywhere he's played. He showed speed and a little bit of power everywhere he's played, showing a lot of power this year with 12 homers and just 173 plate appearances. What do we make of this performance? Is Matt McClain supposed to put up gross numbers like this, Welsh? This seems like a, a really great start for him that helped him earn this promotion. And the fact that the Reds have a ton of other prospects means they should be a little more aggressive taking looks at some of these guys when they think they're ready because they have to figure out how all these pieces are going to fit in the next couple of years. Yeah, I mean, is he supposed to? I don't know, but he is, and that's the craziest part about it. Like, the AFL was kind of the start of this because there's this big hole in his swing, and he was just swinging through a lot of stuff. And I actually would have loved to have talked to him to see, like, what clicked through there because he had, like, a really early rough start in the AFL. Then it started to turn. I've got some video out there of him you know, just turning on some balls. But the thing I continuously saw were, were pitchers attacking him low in the zone. Like you see a lot of guys and it was like off-speed pitches. But when you made a mistake, he was just murdering them. And this year, you're seeing all of that come into play. Double-digit homers and stolen bases in the minors. He cut his K percentage, which was like the biggest thing that I want to give him the extra benefit of the doubt. Because I will tell you, I haven't been the biggest in on Matt McClain for a while because I know he can hit and I know he can run some, but I really question how much contact he's going to make and what type of slumps he's going to get into. 
but man, dropping that K percentage was absolutely huge. And the mistake he made in his, uh, or he took advantage of in his debut was like a high slider. You know, that was the thing. He was able to take advantage of a slider that was over the plate, crush it to center, showed off his legs. Like, I think this is like a 15-15 type of guy, or maybe it turns into, you know, best case is like a 20-10 type of guy. So I'm a little bit apprehensive about like what he's done in the minors, but it's, you know, it's checked specific boxes. It's checked the K percentage box. It's been consistent and he's already made up. He made it up before CES, which was like shocking to me. So I think this is a great buy. They also trusted him to hit two. And that might be telling a new story about the type of quality of contact he's making that they already threw him up at two on this team, which we usually don't see with these type of rookies. So he's a big buy right now. And I think he's got a lockdown position because in the minors, Ellie had been playing third base. You've got CES, who is uh, probably going to play first, could DH for this team. And I think at some point in this offseason, or this season, you know, maybe into the summer, we are going to see Elliott third, Matt McLean at short, uh, Indy at second, and CES manning first base. I think we are going to see that sometime in the next couple months here. And that's how they're going to bring up all these guys, because this team does have flexibility to move guys like Nixon Zell back to the outfield. And they've got Henry Ramos at DH right now. Yeah, the weird thing is Nick Senzel belongs on the dirt. He's not bad in the outfield, but he's better on the dirt, and they're probably not going to keep him there because they have so many other young players coming up to the system. Uh, you know, how do you stack up McLean to some of the other rookie shortstops? We saw Casey Schmidt get promoted last week, but we had a bunch of rookie shortstops on opening day rosters, going back to you know, Volpe and Tovar. We've, of course, seen uh, other prospects promoted in between, like Zach Neto. Where does McLean sort of fit into the conversation for you? I think he's uh, belongs somewhere around Neto. Uh, I think Volpe is probably still the cream, uh, the cream of the crop uh, in terms of the names you've mentioned, unless I'm I'm forgetting somebody. Uh, just in terms of, I, I think his uh, speed is the most elite tool, uh, fantasy tool of the of the group that you've mentioned. Um, and Neto and McLean seem like guys who can be fundamentally sound. They're going to walk. They're going to play good defense. They're going to play. They're going to play high in the lineup because of those walks. They're going to play every day because of that defense. Um, and so I do see a little bit of a, a, a bit of a comp there. What's uh, interesting about what um, the you know what Chris just said about the the different players, uh, the, the, the different uh, facets of McLean's you know arsenal. Is that you know he just had a 362 ISO down in the minor leagues this year. You mentioned the 12 homers and 173 plate appearances. I think it would be, uh, you know, I think there's uh, some that might feel like, oh, what are you talking about? 20 homers? Like this is a guy who can hit way more than that. Same time he had a 109 max EV down there, and it seems like he accomplished those homers by hitting a lot of fly balls. Uh, this year had the 49% fly ball rate, which always makes me nervous. Um, you know, once you, once you have an extreme fly ball or ground ball, rate, It seems to me like you have somewhere I can pitch you in the zone. If you're an extreme ground ball guy, I feel like I can pitch you high in the zone. Um, if you're a stream fly ball guy, I can pitch you low in the zone. So Chris saying that he has a whole low in the zone. He has his 49% fly ball rate. He's a, he has a below average max EV. Yeah. I, I, I see that there's still some down. There's still some pressure on his strikeout rate. There's still some pressure on his batting average. I can see why some projection systems say 230 for his batting average and some say 250. 
I can see why some projections say 160 for his ISO and others say 180, you know. So there is a range here and what we need to fi what we will figure out in the next few months is how much power he has and how much contact he's going to make. But I do think the baseline walk rate, uh, the baseline defense, the baseline speed, he's going to be a valuable uh, fantasy player. Uh, I'd say probably a step below Volpe, but him and Neto are, are probably the next two uh, in that grouping. Uh, and then there's just a caveat. Yo, his home park is awesome. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I didn't like Tovar, but if McLean came up as a Rocky, I'd say he's number one. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. uh, maybe, you know, that even if he hits those fly balls a little bit softer than you'd like, if he hits 49% fly balls, maybe he's actually going to have 25, 30 homers. It's, so. it's funny you mentioned that. I have this video. I was trying to find it, and I can't find it on my Twitter uh, from the AFL of this homer that Matt McLean hit that I, you know, I was right there. And, and what you can see is, he does have this like always trying. It's almost a purposeful lift in his swing. And in this specific swing, he almost gets like tippy toed, like his whole body <laughs> is moving up and the, the Homer, you know, he hits it and he pulls it, but it gets tippy toed because he, there's an active attempt and trying to get the ball up. And, and you said a lot of the stuff why, like I've got reservations on Matt McLean versus what he's done. Cause what he's done on paper he looks like the looks elite. Great. He looks the elite of elite prospects right now. Sub 20% K percentage. 17% walk rate. Crazy yeah. numbers. Crazy numbers. But like I've seen the bad in Matt McLean, so I'm apprehensive. But the things is the ability to cut the strikeouts, the more stolen bases, and like you said, the ballpark factor. Those are things where it's like I'll kind of push some of those aside and say, hey, Let's just go. Let's just go. And I think I agree. Mm -hmm. Like I was going to say like Tovar versus McLean. I think it's kind of easy McLean right now. You just buy in, yeah. you go with it. And he's probably the guy only Volpe uh, is ahead of. Yeah. The big difference for me is when you look at McLean's profile, walking helps a lot, right? You can be a batting average liability in fantasy, but if you have some power and you have good speed, you can overcome that pretty easily. I think the problem we're seeing with Ezekiel Tovar, he's not getting on base enough to use the speed that he has. So you're not getting much of a contribution there. So far for Tovar, this season has been an extension of that very brief nine-game sample we got from him at the end of last year. The slash line so far is almost identical. 213, 257, 338. To the Rockies' credit, they have been patient. But we're closing in on one-third of a season's worth of big league plate appearances for Tovar, can, where he, he has been a down. bad player offensively. Yeah, I think he's going to end up getting sent down to AAA. And keep in mind, this is a guy that only played 66 games at AA last year and had a five-game stop at AAA before going to the big league. So they moved him fast. I generally like this. I don't think it means much for his long-term development. I think it's part of the range of outcomes if you move aggressively is having to backtrack on that and give a player some more time in the minor leagues. Uh, I think the question would be for dynasty leagues and for keeper leagues, are you trying to get Tovar right now? Because if you see him on a roster where everything else is sort of built to play for the immediate future, you might have someone willing to part with him in a trade in a long-term league. And we're talking about a guy that's 21 years old who defensively should stick at the position and does still have that benefit once he comes back someday. We're already assuming the demotion, but once he's <laughs> once he's up for good, he has that home park to fall back on to prop up those numbers. So have you soured on Tovar Welsh to the point where you're not necessarily as interested in him long-term? I know, you know you were a little bit skeptical back during draft season, but is this a good move in keeper in dynasty leagues with a guy like Tovar struggling this much? I mean, like, I, it's like the old adage, like, you know, the, the process is not linear, you know, the, like this developmental process for these guys. So 
I think it's always like a good idea to buy in when people have completely washed their hands of, a, of super young prospects that have uh, shown elements of dominating. But I'm not a big Ezekiel Tovar guy. Um, I think the stolen bases could be bigger than the power. The home ballpark is something that like, are we going to get into a split situation with him down the line when he really learns to hit? And at the same time, like a lot of these, there's plenty of uh, as many, you know, Fernando Tatis prospects as there are. There's Jose Iglesias's, you know, guys that play great defense and steal a handful of bases and a handful of homers and never bring it out. I just don't know if um, Ezekiel Tovar is that right now where you could probably trade Tovar for Matt McClain. And that might seem very short sighted and very like now sided to it. But I don't know. I'd probably rather take the risk because I think the counting stats are bigger. But, you know, we say all this and like Tovar had a monster minor league season and it just hasn't clicked. Maybe he takes longer. We saw him struggle at the AFL and he might just be one of these guys that takes a year or two to really get baseball under his belt. And then he can go and put up. Unfortunately, I'd still say maybe like 80% of what Matt McClain theoretically could do. So Matt McClain might be a better fantasy option. Tovar might be a regular a uh, better actual real life player. You know, question I was going to ask you guys on the Matt McLean thing real quick is, do you have any worry? Cause I have a little bit of this. If McLean struggles at all, that the team maybe just rip cords it and wants to bring Ellie de la Cruz up. And if you get back to that Nixon Zell thing, if Nixon Zell is better on the dirt and the team has to make tough decisions, Matt McLean, I think really has to hit and really has to dominate if Ellie De La Cruz is going to come up and if they're not willing to move Nick Senzel, because if you haven't followed Ellie De La Cruz dropped his strikeout percentage to under 20% in the month of May, he's six homers, it. four stolen bases. He's a monster. He had that crazy hit the game ball harder than any major leaguer other than like uh, O'Neill Cruz and Aaron judge this year. Right? He had one game where he registered three 116 mile per hour hits. Two of them were homers. <laughs> which is absurd. So like Ellie is in AAA. He's knocking on the door. What what would this team want from him? They'd want to see the strikeouts drop. Well, they have. And he's done that in May to like an aggressive degree. So offensively, Ellie De La Cruz is justified to come up, but we've got to look and be like, all right, so what does this roster look like? Who will it be at the expense of? And if Matt McLean struggles, that could be one of the downfalls that they've got a guy that they might want Ellie to be the shortstop. I don't know. Noelvi is a third baseman. <laughs> so down the line, you can't have Ellie and Noelvi both play third base. Noelvi can't play another position unless they move him to first, which they have CES. Who can so, play corner outfield? So that might be the thing. Maybe Noelvi as a third baseman could play corner outfield. That might be something. I don't know if they're willing to move off of Ellie for that. So there's a little part of me in all this Matt McClain stuff that sits and goes, well, when you get your best players out there, is Matt going to turn into a super util if Ellie is the future at shortstop? So just throwing that out there because Ellie is moving up, man. Yeah, Yeah, he is off to a fantastic start this year. I think the NL Central is such a disaster right now. The Cardinals look like they're kind of becoming the Cardinals again. They're seven and three in their last 10. Uh, Nolan Arenado's fixed. He looked pretty broken for a while. Where the pitching is going to come from? There was no evidence. That's a, that's a load and win, by the way. (laughs) It's not a load of win. That's a load of win. That is no evidence. That that is a guy who's on track to go to the hall of fame, having a, going into a one month funk and usually those guys come back I put him in a buy low article and i was like i got no numbers for you man there's nothing here that i can be like well his barrel rate is still good i'm like no it all looks terrible this is how bad he looked i put a gif in where i was like this is how bad he looks and yet still buy so here's but- the thing though with with the reds and this is this is why i think ellie de la cruz becomes an intriguing redraft stash in these next couple of weeks is they're five games back at the brewers 
this division's wide open. Oh my god, yeah. do you think they could do? Why like why can't they? Yeah. Like just just anyone could win that division right now if they have especially if they have internal talent so they that just could make win them like better. 4 or 5 games in a row. This whole division, if if you look at every one of these rosters, if you have upper level guys that you think could help you, you should consider promoting them. I know I'm Mr. Aggressive promote everyone. Well, I know that's, that's up and but I think we could see the Brewers get to the point where Jackson Churio, if he's playing really well what? at double A AA and triple A, we could see Churio by the end of the season. No I, way. I argued it for the Pirates. I thought Henry Davis should Isn't be up. Isn't Churio like 10 years old? Yeah, 19. pretty close. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. But it, I'm not saying, uh, okay. But I'm he does trying, have, okay, now I'll, he has I'll clarify. 60 plate appearances. And I'll clarify. I'm saying this group of teams, all five teams in this division, should be a lot more open-minded about who can help them because of what it takes to get to the playoffs in this division it's a lower bar right now mm. than it is elsewhere and for the reds with prospects on prospects on prospects there's no reason to hold anything back right now if you think they're ready give them a shot with the reds specifically outside of the brewers because take the red situation we're out of uh manipulating rostery type of stuff if guys come up they're not going to accrue a full season, so you'll have that into next year. So you have to ask yourself, who are the guys that are coming up this year? Maybe Churio doesn't, but Ellie will. Christian Encarnacion Strand will. Those guys are coming up this year. They're, they're, they're not going to be served by being down there. And these teams have to look at themselves in the face and be like, do we really want Henry Ramos as our DH? And do we want Stuart Fairchild in the outfield? And do we want Jose Barrero <laughs> manning our shortstop? Or do we want excitement when this division is still within reach and do we want these guys to develop here because what are you losing you're not losing the extra year or anything like that so that's why i've been pretty steadfast about christian encarnacion strand coming up but with matt mcclain up it's only a matter of time if we're in june and ellie mcclain ces and andrew abbott are not all up i will be surprised they actually just called up brandon williamson who's going to get a start uh, used to be with the mariners i'm surprised that wasn't andrew abbott we just don't know the mindset of these teams. And I think some are more aggressive than others, but I think Ellie and CES are great redraft stashes right now. I did it both in NFBC leagues uh, the week before with CES. This week was Ellie De La Cruz. Those are guys that I'm stashing because I think they're coming just like Matt McClain is. Ironically, I kind of just think Matt McClain might be the least safe of those three guys, even though he's put up insane numbers. Yeah, there's something about bringing him up first that says like, well, we're going to give you a shot. It's going to be about two weeks long. <laughs> yeah, we're, yeah, we want to yeah. see what we got before we go make the commitment. I mean, it, it really might be. It might be like they might need to see what they have before they start making these adjustments, whether it's Sinzel moving off or hell, Can maybe Ellie does. Some center field. <laughs> yeah, maybe Ellie. Maybe they put Ellie in the corner infielder. That guy would be a, a monster of a well, he's right big, fielder. right? Yeah, he's huge. Six foot six, six foot seven, somewhere in there. And he's also. But then where does Steer go? It's like, it's so weird. And St Steer is the tough one. That, that That's another one of those tough ones and how they're going to completely manage their roster. That's why they've got difficult decisions. But there has to be a point where it's like, what are what is served? Having these, there's nothing in uh, Christian Encarnacion Strand, in my mind, is really getting down in the minors that wouldn't be improved by going to the major. Same thing with Ellie. I think both of those guys' problems are strikeout rates, which let's not have them focus 1,000% in the minors. Let's get them to the majors, and let's really get down to brass tacks and fix that strikeout rate here against the pitching that you will be seeing, not that AAA pitching. So I wish they would just just do it. Just get pull the Band-Aid off, get all these guys up, and not have this little trickle effect of all of them because Matt is the is the first of many for them. 
And if you have this ongoing competition on the roster, you're going to send some of these guys down at some point. It's Good point. inevitable. Like one or two of them are going to do it by performance. One might get squeezed because there's not enough room to play. They're going to pull the the Jordan Walker. You, you got to play every day, so we're sending you back down. All those things are still in play for the Reds once they bring this group up. Uh, it's ugly. It would like looking at the bullpen in the back of the rotation, but hey, the NL Central it is up for grabs. We should Dude, talk about. Hold mm-hmm. on, real quick though. Mm-hmm. What did they do to Brandon Williamson? They broke him. They, well, oh he, he, we know what they did to him. They took him away from one of the best pitching development teams in baseball in the Mariners. <laughs> no, I, and I, they I put didn't him with the Reds. It, but yeah, like, that's exactly what they with did. With Seattle, he had uh, he had like a 38% strikeout rate in there in his time in Seattle. And this year in AAA for Cincinnati, he has a 16% strikeout rate. He has a 91 stuff plus changeup, a 75 stuff plus curve, a 71 stuff plus fastball. And I don't even have to tell you all those things. You can see that he's got a 7K9 and a 6 ERA. Like, why is he up and what did they do to him? And why is it not Andrew Abbott? Why Why is it? Why? Again, there might be a little part of this. Like, do you hear what you said? Maybe there's a little bit of like, they know their future. You ever heard that term? They're like, I know what I got. Like they know what they've got, <laughs> but it's, let's see what these other pieces that maybe they don't know. I'm not saying that that is McLean, but there is something to like McLean and Williamson coming up before guys like Ellie and Andrew Abbott, who are the future that maybe they just want to fully understand at the major league level, what these guys are going to be all about before yeah. they make their other big commitments. Sorting hat, like sorting through. And then also there, there is some, element of politics uh, within a an organization of like well you know these guys were ahead these guys are older these guys should get the first shot or whatever yeah and you don't always want to like rush a 17 year old past the like 22 year old that you know feels like you know he's getting skipped by yeah it's 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 tricky to navigate having that much talent that can play on the left side of the infield coming up all at once I haven't seen a lot of teams under that problem quite to the level the Reds are running into it right now. Let's go to the Yuri Perez debut. Seems like it was a lifetime ago. That was only Friday. (laughs) (laughs) Baseball is so weird like that. I thought he looked really good. I thought he was getting squeezed. Everything kind of looked as advertised. If you haven't seen Yuri Perez pitch before, uh, maybe you saw the pitching ninja gif going around of the overlay of Perez and Sandy Alcantara. It is remarkably similar in terms of the delivery and power change 91 mile an hour the second half finish was almost identical to sandy too the beginning isn't but like once they get to that middle point it is almost a mirror to mirror that pitching ninja put out there it is it's pretty crazy looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 u.s based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? 
Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit directtv.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yeah, I, I didn't realize they were that similar until I saw that. Four-seamer, slider, curve, uh, the occasional change-up, all in the debut. It, again, I, I thought he got squeezed a couple of times. One of those instances led to a home run. Outing could have been a little better. Is he really up for good? We talked about it on the Friday show as another big spend in fab just three days after on this very show last week. We were talking about the possibility of being a little more careful with our fab dollars with rookie pitchers. I I get the sense that anything can happen because he's a young pitcher, but for some reason I have this belief that the Marlins are going to stretch him and keep him up as long as they possibly can, even though they are going to give him a very clear kid gloves treatment over the course of the season, right? Skipping the starts when the schedule allows it, uh, being careful with them around the all-star break. If they fall to contention, of course, shutting him down early, any and all of those things are on the table, but he looks major league ready to me. I agree. I, and I also think that like, I'm taking this new approach of trying to not examine a bigger, too big of, even though I did all of that with the Rays, I'm trying to like understand, like, I just don't know what anybody's doing with rookies anymore. So the best thing to do is just to base everything off of the performance of what you're seeing. If they'll bring a guy up and they can perform well, let's assume they have enough trust that they're willing to go the full throttle thing. Unless it's like, one dude got hurt and it's a spot start and it's clearly a spot start. This situation isn't quite as clear, even though Rogers and Cueto both on the IL, I just have to assume that they would, even though the Rays pulled it out from Bradley, but not everybody's the same. So it's like, we just don't know the path of how everybody wants to treat these rookies. In my mind, get your best players out there, get the players that get fans excited, that get butts in seats, that sell jerseys. And as long as you're not hurting development, which you're clearly not, he gets to be there with his mentor in Sandy Alcantara. They, they, he literally, I think um, it was that he stayed with Sandy during spring training and the offseason. He was living with him and training with him. You've got a, you've got a great teacher in there, learn at the major league level. He clearly has the stuff because, you know, if you look at his, uh, his zone chart too, it's pretty fascinating. This is like, it's like pro pitcher stuff. You know, he eats you up inside on righties with that fastball, which I thought that he could ride that fastball in really tight. He can hit the corner with the slider. The changeup is a little bit of a wild card and the curveball also kind of the swing and miss wild card pitch. I mean, it looked good. He looked good. Seven strikeouts, a little bit squeezed, solid command. I don't know why I wouldn't bet on this guy. It would only be as if it was like a race situation and they're just like, okay, awesome two starts. Now let's change it all and go down in six day, five day rotate like that wild, crazy stuff. That's those are things we can't control. And we like don't know about. So I'm with you, DVR. I would bet on it. Yuri looked phenomenal and might be uh, one of these top rookie pitchers, even though we've had the Bybees and stuff. I think this is the top guy and I'd make the bet. He looked so calm too, for his debut. Like you see guys, some, there's, there's a wide range of outcomes. There's the way that Yuri Perez looked during his debut down to, geez, was it Logan Gilbert, who you could just see was just jittery oh, out there. Brandon first, Fott was that's sweating normal. like a pig. His face was all red. He's just like, <laughs> oh, it's another homer. Like he, everything, the balls are whizzing by him at 110. Like he was like, he did, it's as cool and calm as the, the team says he is. It was stressful watching him. Yuri Prez is just out there slanging. 
It's very, very impressive. I don't, I don't blame. It, it's wild the fab money that was spent on this weekend. I don't know if you guys <laughs> paid attention to it. Around three hundred to three fifty. But think about that based off of what money is gone off of fab. So that's not just thirty to thirty-five percent. Probably closer to fifty percent was spent on Yuri. So there's a huge capital investment in big money leagues on Yuri Perez because he looks elite and he can be elite. Yeah, the only caveat that I have is uh, the curveball. I don't, I'm not sure it's good. Uh, it gets uh, 11 inches less drop than the average curveball, uh, six inches less fade. It's, uh, it's gonna have a lot of blue on it on Savant when it comes online. And at 80.5, I can't blame it all on the velo. I can't say, well, this is a power curve, so it doesn't move as much. Uh, power curves are 82, 83, 84. Uh, so I'm not sure the curveball is a great pitch, but I do know that the fastball is a great pitch. Somehow, even though he throws at 97, he gets two inches more ride than average. Uh, and he spun it faster than anybody other than Emmanuel Classe, who's a reliever, by the way. And so, you know, you've already got some aspects of his pitches that are really stand out. An 86 mile an hour slider, it doesn't matter how it moves. It's 86 miles an hour. So I see at least three pitches that are plus. I, I, I don't know if I like the curveball, but that's a really little nit to pick. And then the last thing I'll say is I don't think that the command uh, looked there was any problem with the command, even though he might have gotten squeezed a little. Um, and I do think that there is a teammate on his team that is having a serious issue with command. And so if you look at some team dynamics, as you were talking about, it's possible that Eduard Cabrera gets sent down before Yuri Perez. I mean, an 18% walk rate is just not viable in the major leagues. And it's something that Eduard Cabrera has been working on for a long time. And uh, I'd, I'd say work on it somewhere else for a little bit. Uh, you know, like we don't want to pull the plug and make you a reliever just yet. So... You know, let's see if we can get you down to AAA and have you, you know, throw up an 8% walk rate. He's thrown some of those up uh, in the past um, and maybe give him a single target and, and make him work like Tyler Glass now off a single target or or eliminate some pitch out of his repertoire that he can't command. Something needs to change for Edward Cabrera. And I think that the longer they pitch side by side, the more likely it is that Cabrera is the one that's sent down. Totally makes sense to give Cabrera that time. We had someone either tweet or email, and I'm sorry, I don't remember the name, but they said that there were two good examples, Hall of Fame examples of uh, pitchers that oh, yeah. were uh, bad with the walk rates, as bad as Yuri, or not Yuri Perez, as bad as Edward Ed Cabrera has been. Sandy Koufax and Nolan Ryan, and we just didn't go back far enough on the leaderboard. You know, I think when you pulled up that leaderboard, we said 2000 was the cutoff, but you go back wow, and look at the early look careers. At those. I mean, he yeah. got a lot better as his career progressed, but yes, Nolan Ryan. Uh, 17, 13, 14, yeah. Yeah, Sandy Koufax, for the first six years that he spent time in the big leagues, had a walk rate of 11% or higher. I will point wow. out, though, there is something fundamentally different about now versus then. <laughs> just, Lots of just, differences. Just, what they, just a few. <laughs> Here's a major one. The run environment. You know what I mean? I think you can get away with more walks in a lower run environment. You know what I mean? Like... Right now, we've got one of the... You know that the run environment now is almost comparable to 2019? Oh, good. We're back to that. Yeah, yeah. We're we're happy fun ball. Cool. And so between the shift and the, the clock and the and the uh and the and the new ball, possibly, what we're getting is is a happy fun ball. 
And I just don't think you can play in happy fun ball and give up five walks. You know what's so funny about that? They uh, MLB had this commercial um, this this past week. It might have been old or whatever, but it was one of those commercials, and it was like I don't. I might have been the Brian Cranston one of those, and it was like baseball is back, runs are up, you know, everybody's scoring. It's amazing, and I was thinking, God, there there's like a group of executives that are sitting there, and they're like, we did it. You know, screw those pitchers. We're getting runs. Like and they, the rest of us playing fantasy baseball, being like, "How can I put this pitching staff together?" Yeah, it's it, so hard right now. It's like so <laughs> blatant in our face that like the moves that they have made is to just score more. I mean, we all knew this, but it's just like baseball in this ad was just like, "Ha, we did it, guys. We're I scoring all the runs. Screw those pitchers. <laughs> they suck. We got them." And they did everything they could outside of you know injecting steroids or putting in the uh, happy fun ball. You know they're doing everything. I finally else got they can. my uh, my labor ERA under five. <laughs> that might be a winning so ERA. A, a middle of the pack for AL only league. Yeah, it's middle of the pack. It's not yeah, even six points in the standings. I'm at four. I'm at like four six five, and I think I have six or seven points. <laughs> Low four is going to be the target now for everybody. That's going to win you your league. It's awful. Yeah. Plus, it's pretty, plus, pretty just rough. I was in my twelve team, right? And I was just looking through the wire for for teams. It's a twelve team dynasty, so the first five names that are rostered, I can't have. Right, they're protected on somebody else's minor league list. Right, so I'm like, then I was like, okay, so the first five guys are all hot young rookies. I can't have that. I'm mad that I can't have. And then there were like three veterans before it started to be all relievers. Like I, I did like I. I'd had a choice between Ross Stripling and, and this is a 12 teamer. <laughs> I had a choice between Ross Stripling. I picked up Seth Lugo and, and, and somebody else and I dropped Ross Stripling and I was just like, this is my choice. And it's because, and we were joking about this on rates and barrels yesterday, like ranking pitchers right now. It's, it's almost just like, who's healthy. Like Horrible. we were trying to, who were we trying to put somewhere? Mitch Keller. We were trying to put Mitch Keller on the rankings and try to re-rank him. Like and then thirteen, and I was looking through my rankings that came out <laughs> two weeks ago. My rankings came out two weeks ago, and I was like, "Oh well, hurt, 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 hurt." Oh, it's so, it's like that game on the Price is Right cliffhangers where yeah, the, the gambling man goes up the cliff. You keep booming above yeah. the ramp, and they get hurt and they fall <laughs> off the end, and someone else goes up the mountain. That's that's how it works right so now. So I was like, "I guess he's top 30. I mean, because everybody else that was like thirty through forty is hurt. So I mean, I think he's true talent like top 40 ish but everyone's hurt so he's top 30 you know it's funny you say that we were t- i was just talking about this with uh with uh, scott bogman that it's like could you even trade your mitch keller would you even want to trade your mitch keller right now to get a guy like alec manoa in a redraft league like <laughs> that's where we were that's, that's almost exactly, exactly oh, was what it? we were talking yeah, yeah, about yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that seems like the biggest no-brainer in the like sneaky moves that you do to buy back in on players but i don't i don't think i I'm would want to it. right now no. Why are we? Yeah. Why are we giving up so much? I, it, someone was asking about this on Twitter again this morning, and I guess they probably didn't hear yesterday's episode. We talked about it a bit yesterday. It's so strange to me that we could take fifty-one big league starts from the last two years and just say, "Nope, doesn't matter anymore." Mm-hmm. We've seen nine starts this year. He's not that guy anymore. It goes back to the: Is it fixable? And I think it's like if you're in a ten-team league. Manoa's probably a drop. Or you're at least being very careful with the matchups. That's kind of the line for there. If you're in a 12, okay, who are you going to pick up? Maybe in a 15, it's like a forced hold because there's no pitching available. In a keeper league, you look at the overall body of work and you say, 
wait a minute. He's a 25-year-old who's had a ton of success in the big leagues. He's had... Can't sell him. I mean, again, but 51. But could you buy him? I think Projections you could, but, never liked him. Models didn't like him. This is the time. Long term, short term, doesn't matter. If you believe that he can turn it around, or if you don't think he's this that broken, you absolutely can can buy. I'm wondering right now if there is a uh, kind of reverse effect to what we see in redraft leagues, where pitching's super inflated. You want to trade for pitching to help you right now? It's going to cost you as much as ever. In long term leagues, unless we're talking about the pitchers on the cusp of getting the big leagues, you know, Yuri Perez before he got promoted, or I guess Kyle Harrison, Ricky Tiedem, and guys like that that haven't been debuted yet, they'd be in this group. Like, they're close, so we're still really into them. Are the pitching prospects far away from the big leagues getting just squashed value-wise? Because no one wants to wait for pitching. Everyone's afraid mm. pitching is going to break. So I just wonder if the, the long-term market on pitching is just a complete cluster in a different way than the current in-season redraft market is trying to trade for pitchers. I or if you're trying to buy now, if you, if you want to buy a top 10 pitcher in a keeper league right now, you're going to pay a lot in terms of long-term yeah, value to get that I've found that in my deeper uh, keeper leagues that, uh, yes, uh, that pitching that's further away is easy to pick up. You can just pick it up. You don't have to trade for it. So, like, you know, Elvin Rodriguez is in AAA, but he's not on the 40-man. And uh, I was able just to pick him up as a picker, as a just a just a just a pick up off the wire in Devils Rejects, which is twenty teams, twenty eight keepers, you know, own anyone, you know. So, you know, I do think that uh, you know blocked pitching that's not on the forty man pitching that, especially if it's in high A, I, like I can't even, even imagine. I don't imagine that if you came to me in a trade and offered me uh, a pitcher in high A that that would move the needle at all in the trade yeah i had so i just did an update on my uh my prospect list over on the in this league patreon and one of the top questions that popped up as soon as i did it was someone was like i'm surprised at how many pitchers are inside that top 50 and i was like well you know the the high-end guys were higher maybe than normal inside the top 30 but then there was this big gap and then as you look at a list the gap keeps getting bigger i ended up only having like 14 pitchers in my top 50 of pitching prospects of all prospects overall 14 mm -hmm. of 50 were pitching prospects but if you expanded it to the top 100 there's maybe 20 pitchers in there. I mean, so that's where the gap starts to go. And then there's kind of another gap of players that haven't quite built up their value. So you're right. Like people don't want to pay up for any pitching that is not uh, the elite, elite, elite guys. And those elite guys you tend to be double A or higher. Everything else is very acquirable. It doesn't push the needle, even though the value, like you said, like when they are up and performing in Dynasty, they're actually more difficult to trade for than anything else. I've, I've noticed that over the last five years. Elite or higher in trustable pitching is one of the most difficult assets to purchase in Dynasty leagues. Especially not older. I mean, yeah. you know, Charlie Morton gets and Justin Verlander gets traded around. But yeah, yeah, yeah I think not those guys. I think the other challenge, though, is if you are not playing for this year and you have good pitching and you don't know if you're going to contend next year, you probably have to trade those older guys because they could break. That's that's always been a concern, but it seems like they're more likely to break now than ever before. So the risk We're is even higher. out of 20 and have Justin Verlander. Right. Are you, mm. Yeah. So if you're not good enough to win this year, you should trade Justin Verlander like right now or after a run of two or three good starts and be happy that there's going to still be a market for Verlander because there's always a market for pitching in those leagues. The other part of this, 
I like that over at Rotowire on the player pages, they've got the historical prospect rankings. So you could see where our friend James Anderson had players at various points in time. Think about how pitching just explodes when it gets into a system. How development occurs where guys who were not even first and second round picks end up becoming organization's best pitchers in such short order. Brandon Fott, who I think is James's number one ranked pitcher now after all the promotions and things that have happened since the season started, this time a year ago, he was ranked like 290 on his top 400. Yeah, and that's how look fast at Bryce it can Miller. change. Look at Bryce Miller. Oh, it's, it's got to be Bryce Miller. Where, could get, where do you think he was? 400. What, what? <laughs> like, is he even in his top 400? Yeah, this, this time last year, Bryce Miller... 323. Yeah. And we're now, and you, you go a and year now imagine into the trying to trade for Bryce Miller. He'd be impossible to trade for in a long term league. And think about what just happened in Fab. This, this, is, this is what's happening with pitching right now. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano-instrumentation, all through a barely-there poke-hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be a foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely, minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano-experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash the athletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. This is actually development is so fast. This has actually been one of my biggest things I've been talking about. Me and James have talked about this for years is I don't covet higher pitchers in dynasty as far as prospects go because of this movement guys that are at 150 can pop up and be a top 25 pitching prospect with just a few small changes instantly i think there is exponential value in uh later pitching investment than there is anything paying up for premium prices another prime example this is not a big name but look at what's going on with the braves right now aj smith uh, Sover, if I'm saying his uh, his last name correctly, might already be the number one pitching prospect in that system. And ha- most people probably don't even know who the hell he is. You know, it's not Jared Schuster. It's not Dylan Dodd. That system is kind of stunk. But through five starts in double A, A.J. Smith uh, Sover has a zero ERA. He has 32 strikeouts over 21 innings. And this is coming and off of coming an A-ball of season. With zero ERA. Yeah, exactly. And he's moved from high A to double A this year, and he's got equal starts on it. And this is a guy that was a nothing burger last year, even into the early points of this season. So you're on to something very smart in that the, and I don't even think I process it like that. I've always just seen it as like, I love 
the later value in pitching prospects because there's such a big return. But you're right. The jump that happens with pitching prospects and how their value can change almost overnight is bigger than anything else, I think, in fantasy baseball uh, as far as prospects go. Hitters, it takes time. Churio took time. A pitcher, it's like a quarter of that time. The closest thing I think I can say is if you have a stud high A guy and he repeats it at double A, his value explodes. Yeah, Yeah, that's sort of the the marker of, of... Hey, this is going to be a deal. Because, like, look at Churio. He's got a 94 WRC plus. If he had, if he right now had 135 WRC plus, I would not have laughed at all at, at your suggestion that he might be in the major leagues this year. But he is, he's like a six week stretch of being the guy we saw last Could year at that level there, from getting sure. right on the radar because they're, they know their current window is closing before they have to figure out how they're going to get through full seasons with a strong rotation again. And, Keeper leagues and dynasty leagues are are similar in that regard. Like you you have to have the timing right. I feel like it, there's one league where uh, Ryan Bloomfield and I traded for Brandon Fott. Like we're not going to win this year. Fott was one of the best young players to get back in one of our trades, so we got Fott. And I kind of already regret it, not because of Fott's performance, but because we're not playing for this year. And Brandon Fott should be good next year, but. I'd rather have multiple bites at the apple with different players. I'd rather have two players back instead of fought as opposed oh, to the Oh no, you're talking like, a, a, like an MLB GM. <laughs> well, yeah, but I would like to have five players back. Five back cuz I want my five my lodums. I want my five lodums instead of my one grade. Someone asked us if it should be uh lodums. It should. Of I, I've been thinking about it by the way. I've been thinking about it. I totally screwed it up when I said it, but I will say it's more aesthetically pleasing to say lodum than it is lidum, but yeah. we can do it if we want for, you know, proper uh, turning of the letters. Lidum is the the acronym for the Dominican Winter League though, too. So, I oh, think right. it's better for it to be lodum. And also, Lodum sounds like a low, like low model. Like low. It does. It does. That's why it came out naturally. But then I knew I'm like, oh, the E and the O, I messed up. But I, I didn't even notice it at the time. And I was thinking about it like after the episode. I'm like, yeah, I think I think those vowels may have been flipped. There'd definitely be a person like, be like, yeah. mm, well, guys, let me tell you, actually, it should be Lidum. Oh, man. No, there's 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 one on every crowd. This was just a it was a, this was a polite. I think it might be that instead. Best. I took a film class in college and one of the kids in my class made one of the best like films I've ever seen someone in a college class make. I mean, it was it was like clearly better than what the rest of us all did, but it took shooting on two separate days. So there was a shot where he had to cut it together and it was raining in, in one shot and then it wasn't raining in the next shot. And after the thing was over, we're all like applauding because this was really good. And we had that one kid in the class who who just had to out loud. He could have just kept it to himself. He goes, there was a continuity error there. It was sunny right after it was raining in that same sh- same scene in the coffee shop. And we all just looked at him like, Get out of here. Yeah. Leave. Get out of here. Leave Get right now. Like, Shut up. Like you just saw a short film from someone who might actually go work in Hollywood someday. And the first thing you said mm-hmm. was nitpicking the thing that he obviously knows was wrong. He just had to go get the shot again. And you can't, you know. You're in college. You're it's not going to be able to type recreate move, that. If I say Absolute so Lodum commentary right there. No. That that guy, the guy that made that comment, is just ripping people apart on the internet right now, writing terrible Yelp reviews, etc. He's, right He's still out there, just tearing people apart. Uh, we got a few other topics to get to. There was another Marlins pitcher I wanted to bring up real quick, Jake Eater, who's coming back from a foot injury that he suffered uh, on the heels of of coming back from Tommy John surgery, is about a month away. 
He already pitched at double A before he got hurt. I think he's one of those guys that's sort of forgotten about in some keeper leagues. He's on the radar, of course, in keeper and dynasty. I'm not saying he's what never been rostered. Year? Was it Tommy John? He missed all oh, of the last Tommy year with John. Tommy John. And I think oh. because of Max Meyer and some of the bigger names, Yuri Perez, he's always been like the next guy. Yeah. But I think he's good too. So oh, I just wanted to bring him up. They getting have close. a thing where it says prospects TLDR. And it says nearly back from TJ. Eater might be the lefty Spencer, Spencer Strider. Oh, that, that's a reason to be excited. There's about a little okay. tiny. I agree. I actually think he might be one of the best values because like prospect stuff, it's so out of sight, out of mind. I've actually been telling people one thing you should do is if you pay attention to like rookie level guys, it's a great time to go buy them right now because they're not doing anything. So people forget like Osue De La Paula or Ethan Salas. No one's like the value doesn't make sense in people's brains where when they start performing, if they perform high again, those guys specifically will go up. Same thing happens here based off of an injury. And um, no one has really been talking about Eater because he's been out of the game theoretically for so long. But it's big fastball, big slider. There's a great changeup in there. But he's going to pro- predominantly sit on the fastball and slider. And there's some high velos. There's some good spin on the slider. He is a really, really intriguing guy that I don't know coming off of injury if they'll push him. Uh, I could see them more like get some starts in, maybe go pitch in the AFL, and then he's a guy for next year. But I think Eater is a great, great buy right now, If especially since we're kind of focusing and, on... Try to stash him in auto new, like put a Eater, yes. Elvin Rodriguez bid out there where you just yeah. put a dollar on each, and if somebody else wants to pay you know, $2, then then they can take one of them, but you get the one that you get for a dollar and you stash them for next year. I do think yeah. that's a very I, sneaky I, one. I like that maneuver. Throw them both out there at once, knowing you really only... I mean, you're happy to get them both for a dollar. It's, definitely an auto new, it's a definite thing you can do in auto new. Two, two or three bids at the same time, and you, you, you're the dollar guy. So, you know, if you just want one of them for a dollar, you just throw them all out for for a dollar, and you know, somebody will pick one or two off of them for you. you get any ideas there, DVR? We're in the same <laughs> auto new league together. Cool. It's going to be a race to auto new during the show to see who can get those bids in first. I'll but, say, yeah. and you know what? It, it, it has paid off. One of the best things that might have happened that auto new league that we're playing in DVR was, uh, you know, hot tip to myself, but in the first week, I put Bryce Miller out for a dollar, and I got Bryce Miller uncontested completely. So nice. uh, people are a little that's bit more active about. on it. I know that's what yeah. we're wanting here. So Jeez. you know, getting those type of guys out, getting ahead of the curve when they're not performing at the biggest level is one of the best times to like reap extra value out of these guys. And Eater's totally one of those. Eater's a guy that can easily jump into the top 100 just as soon as he starts getting going again. He actually could be a top 15 pitching prospect if all things have returned. There's just obviously big questions about, um, you know, Fangrass how he's has going a low to be. command grade on him. Did you see that or I love low command grades. God, give me, <laughs> give me the low command grades all day long. Load yeah. them up, load them up. That's right. Load them up on my roster. I'll well, take all your bad command comes grades. With your, tough stu- with your high stuff grades, and I'll do it. Exactly. That's, Some of that might have been the, case, that might be part of the the Strider thing too, though. It's like this is big. It's a power fastball, power slider type of guy. Um, that I don't recall if Strider was given really big high command grades early on in his career. So I think that's why you might have some of the same comps that they see that the command can be built. But yeah, it's not heavy, great stuff. But also like, who is he? 
Who is he still that same guy from 2021? Right. Uh, that we was haven't pitching? even seen the stuff return yet. Yeah. yeah, exactly. There might be a whole new um, approach to command that he's uh, taken over the last two years. So we or, really need to see him getting out be there. Down. I mean, that's that's part of the risk for sure. Yeah. But you, you take that risk on when he's when it's cheap uh, rather than having to pay full price when he's, you know, 100 percent, you know, put away all those concerns. Because the distance from the big leagues is close enough where you it's it's going to cost you a lot more if you don't do it now. That's why Jake Eater is part of the conversation today. Uh, we had a few keeper and dynasty questions that came in from one of our listeners, Rob. Rob has a scenario where he's a rebuilding keeper team with a max six-year contract, has a lot of high-end depth at shortstop, so he's trying to shop O'Neill Cruz for talent that will be on his next great team. How do you think a player value if you're looking to get a handful of lesser players for Cruz? This is kind of what I was talking about. Cruz is going to be on your next great team. That's what if I you're say. loaded a shortstop, though, in a 12-team league, it's possible. Trade a I feel pretty one. comfortable assessing a trade closer for like for like, but uh, if, if contracts are similar, like say Corbin Carroll would be, let's say the foundation of the trade coming back my way was Gavin Stone, Bobby Miller, and Brett Beatty. Is that enough? I don't think so. Even ignoring how... I don't trade for prospect pitching. How might I try to size up a fair return? This is true. Like if you have a young position player, okay, so the Fott thing from earlier, I could trade Brandon Fott right now and feel pretty good about it. It'd be really hard for me to trade O'Neill Cruz right now and feel like I'm getting enough value back because you hit this certain point where a player breaks into the big leagues, shows off star tools, even with flaws. Most people are going to say, well, like that's what you were waiting for. You you kind of got what you were waiting for. So what are you going to do? Trade for two or three guys and hope that each of them is as does the as same thing that you just got from the guy yeah. you were waiting on? I mean, the only the only thing is like it's a positional play. So the only thing I would say is if you want to do that, I, I do like some of the things Beatty does. He th- hits the ball hard. He barrels the ball. He makes good contact. Has good patience. Um, I think he's going to grow, you know, into this and he's going to be better as he goes along and he's already around league average. So I think that, you know, he's a, he's a good pickup, but I think you would need three bread baby types in this deal. Yeah. I was going (laughs) to say, I'm the worst about this because 95% of what any of you guys show me for three for ones, I will hate it because it's, I always hate it because it's lesser of players if I'm trading an elite, this is an elite dynasty option. Screw the injury. This is an elite dynasty option. At best, has been sitting top 30. Maybe if you want to put injury in there, let's call him a top 50 dynasty prospect. And that's not even being super generous about that. So what does that get back? It should get at minimum two high end pieces back. I don't even know if Beatty is one of those high pieces, but like. I mean, it's fair. Yuri Perez and Beatty. What about Yuri Perez and Beatty for a second? What do you think about if, that? I still feel like it's not quite enough. I agree. And Yuri Perez is a lead so of a list. Yeah, I agree yeah. with that. So I think you got to look into like, you got to focus on getting a top 10 what to if 15 got prospect. CES, like what, what if it's a total positional play? You got CES, Beatty, and uh, the guinea Yuri. third baseman. Uh, oh, all the... Uh, all out, like all position second, players? young second baseman. Um, like clean. a prospect or like a young guy? Or like a young player in the major leagues because he's giving up a player, and there's already a prospect on there. So I already CES, don't like it. <laughs> I don't know, like. Yeah, I don't even know what the other is. I don't already don't CES, like. Yes, it. it's still not enough. Even even though he's been really interesting, I think if you're moving a player like O'Neill Cruz, a young player that could be young, a superstar, young young CES and Beatty for for Cruz, you get three bites of the apple at third base. 
That's interesting. Like, you know what? I was sitting on like Ellie De La Cruz. Like, that's a, like, I was I thinking, yeah, focus. just go for one oh, O'Neill for How Ellie. About Ellie and Font. How about Ellie and Font for <laughs> O'Neill Cruz? I'd probably do that. Yeah, I think that's, but I think that's like what you need to be looking at. But you're basically just buying Cruz before Cruz. I maybe, think, but like, I those think people Ellie De La Cruz is better than O'Neill Cruz, though. I kind of hope I'm not. I hope I hope I'm not doing the shiny new toy thing. But I'm trying to think about I how think I felt are. about Cruz before he debuted. I, I think, think you are. I think Ellie's O'Neal just Cruz a half notch above cut his O'Neal strikeout Cruz. rate this this early season. But that's why I don't want to do a one for one. I don't, I'm not going to let someone sell me on O'Neill Cruz's Cruz. strikeout rates were lower than Ellie De La Cruz's, and O'Neill Cruz hits the ball as hard as Ellie De La Cruz. It, he hits the ball as hard as anybody. But yeah, that's exactly, why if you're going to so. do that move, you should be focusing on an Ellie. And then you should get more. It and might have more. to be more than five. That, that's why the one for one doesn't work for me. And this is what makes trades so difficult about it because people want to trade. Whenever, anytime you see, that's the thing I would point out. You see that type of trade where it's like, well, I could get, the guy will let me have Bobby Miller, Gavin Stone, and Brett Beatty. It's like, of course he will. Of course he will because none of the things are worth much. Yeah, qual- <laughs> yeah. it is quality is the only thing that hurts him at all. That, but that's why I struggle in some of those bigger leagues because I know in the 20 plus team leagues that it is a little bit more quantity over quality at times, but my focus is always quality. I want the best and I want it. Uh, we should, you should both feel uncomfortable in a trade and O'Neill Cruz is such a good dynasty asset. It's a really good point about like feeling uncomfortable in a trade. That's how you know it's fair value. Like if yeah. you have that feeling of, Oh, that, that actually kind of hurts, but then you can see what comes back. Yeah, but I'm, I'm excited about this. If that's mutual on both sides, that actually feels more like a win-win or at least a fair trade from the perspective of everyone having an equal shot at having it work out. Back when I used to work in radio, um, people would like, I'd get asked this question. They'd be like, you know, Hey, can I uh, say this on air? And I would be like, well, if you're asking me if you could say this, you probably can't. And that's usually a safe (laughs) assumption. So the same thing would apply here where if like you already don't feel comfortable at a trade and you're like, could I do this? You probably already know that you can't, and you know, it's not enough. Like you, with a with an asset like Cruz, it should be a holy crap. Can I not do this trade? That's probably the better place, especially for someone like him. Yeah, and I think in a multiplayer return, I want at least three players back, at least two of them to be hitters, and one of them has to be elite, elite. Like you're, yeah. I'm not doubting whether or not this player is going to be a good impact player. It's it's like oh, I got because the... you might you might not doubt it, and it might still not work out. So you have right. to like add that little bit to the. The yeah, the the yeah. biggest, the, the most hidden thing, the smartest thing that was said in this, I think, I think you both said it was like, you are hoping to get players that can be the guy that you're trading away. And it's like, is it really worth two or three shots to pray that one of these guys can even be 80% of the player you're trading away? You already got that right. guy. O'Neill Cruz is a player to build around. Yeah. And I think the other thing you got to keep in mind too, if you have, you know, three shortstops right now and one of them's hurt, so it doesn't matter. They all fit on your roster. Someone could move positions oh, yeah. out of that group, depending on who's who else is in that group. And we've had that conversation with Cruz already, where he might be the guy that actually. Mookie moves. Betts is playing shortstop, and he's an outfielder. Like it, I think if you're really rebuilding, wouldn't the best move be to put even a hurt shortstop, hurt Cruz in the lineup, and trade one of your healthy ones? Totally. Also that. Also that. Yep. yep. Yeah, I think there's a few ways to do it. Uh, the other question that came in with this: the, How many years of say Mookie Betts are equivalent to five years? of O'Neill Cruz, right? There's some leagues that have contracts and different things like that. You know, I can keep this guy for five years, but I can flip him for a superstar right now that I can only have for two or three. So how do you guys rectify the difference in duration that you can keep a player? 
when there's a pretty significant difference in what they offer right now. I would I would say two years. So you're so how saying do you like you're giving so me like, two years of Mookie for five years of O'Neill Cruz. I'll I'll take the two years of Mookie. Okay, you think two really? years of Mookie is enough? So a rent, yeah, a rental. I would agree with you is not enough. not enough. One year is not enough. Well, I think the the way I try to calculate it, it's kind of like rough back of the napkin math, right? O'Neill Cruz being hurt right now, you, you almost assume like not much this year, five ten bucks of value later on the season, yeah. right? Next year, easily kind of a fifteen to twenty dollar player. And, and you're Mookie expecting that will drop, I think, a little bit because he'll be 31 and he he's not stealing anymore. So like, I think Mookie will be like a 20 dollar play next year. Right, and you should be conservative with the young players and like how fast you project them to go up. So let's just say with Cruz for five years, it's 15, 15 for next year, and then he's 20 in his third year. Right, 15, that's 15 the year or 20, that another 20. Mookie. That's the year yeah. he passes Mookie because Mookie might be 15 in year three. So you're talking about 55 dollars worth of value the next three years. And then Mookie maybe gives you 55 between this year and next year before he's gone. You get a little more from Cruz later. That's pretty close to fair. Well, I'd say actually he'd be under 55, but there's the present value of money, right? It's 50 in the hand versus 55 over five years. A lot can happen. Players get hurt. Stuff changes. You can also replace Mookie. There's some sort of replacement value for Mookie in the next three years. You're going to have somebody else in in that roster slot for three years. Yeah. You could take a chance on somebody, either drafting someone or making another trade or prospect he promoted. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of how I do it anyway. Just looking, projecting out those next few years, conservative dollar numbers, adding it all up and seeing if it comes within range to make sure I'm getting enough back. That one's on also unique sides. because it's like um, it's the team context as well. Like I think you could trade if you're in a rebuild you could trade three years of Mookie for five years of O'Neal, even if the value gets one for one or a little bit sides, because if you're not taking advantage and winning in the first two years because you're in a rebuild, then you can almost kind of negate some of those dollars. So I think you can expand on right. you that a little years, bit. Three, four, and five. A lot exactly. Those are more too. meaningful years when O'Neill Cruz would mean a lot more. I mean, that's why this analysis is so hard, is it changed so much if you're a buyer or seller. Totally. Yeah, and I think it's so uh, it's so interesting to think about just for overall ranks on players right now. Like O'Neill Cruz, if he's healthy right now, see a top fifty, top seventy five player today, like roughly somewhere in that range. Well, two or three years from now, we're hoping he's going to be a top twenty or top thirty player. Even that jump is pretty significant in terms of what it's worth, and it doesn't necessarily matter this year and next year that he's not a top thirty. Yeah, player do yet. you like more Javi Baez or is he somebody? That puts it all together and is, you know, who's 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 like him? 30 30 type. <laughs> Who, who's stuff. like O'Neal I mean, Cruz? no one's like I mean, the, yeah. from a hitting perspective, I was thinking of like old school Stanton. You know, Stanton hits the ball so hard and you wanted the average to kind of tick up, but O'Neal Cruz judge, so judge, 30 I mean, bases. actually judges peak season at shortstop. That's possible for Cruz. And then add thirty stolen bases. Well, I mean, that's, yeah, the peak season he had sixteen or whatever. Yeah, I guess so. It's like a little bit more. So he, he's right. God, he's tough. He's really tough because it can go either way. You know, we've seen really bad swing and miss with uh, with O'Neill Cruz, and we've seen that be a massive I think problem. The floor, and- I think the floor for Cruz, I'm looking at a floor of Javi Baez. Um, I think it's a better a offensive floor, I think. Better offensive floor than Javi Baez? The, the offensive floor so. feels like tw- at least 2010, but I guess like... But Javi Baez could really Baez tank was, on that. Like in his well, so peak, Baez, Baez, but I guess I, I, you're talking his floor is good. Baez, 
<laughs> I'm saying Baez's floor when he was a prospect. Remember when Baez came into the league, he was a huge batting average liability, struck out a ton in that first partial season. The floor seemed crazy low early on with Baez. I think even what we saw in the debut from Cruz, well, the extended debut last was year from slight, Cruz, was slightly better. Was slightly that, better. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I, uh-huh. I think it's less likely that the bottom falls out but on they're Cruz than it was players, on Baez. They're so- comparable. I'm saying, like, you know, I think a, a good floor for Cruz for the next four years is what uh, what Baez did from 16 to 19, which is average, basically like a 275 average with like 28 homers and like 12 to 15 steals. I was trying to come up with another player going back a little further. Like Alfonso Soriano as a hitter when he broke into the league. Is that, mm, is that what Odile Cruz is like? You know? Remember how much pop? I wish I, we could have had the exit velocities on Alfonso Soriano. <sighs> Even though but Cruz walks more than Soriano. Would we have it in... It, this and, is and, kind of a fun Soriano exercise. struck out less. So yeah, so Soriano had less swing and miss, but he it was less patient, especially at the beginning of his career. He started to walk a little bit more... I don't know, kind of mid-career, I guess. But I, say. I, I agree with you in the sort of counting stats. Like Soriano was hitting, was like averaging thirty-five homers and forty steals for a little bit. And in that era, we had guys getting to forty home runs a little more often for you know reasons. But which we it's might that power again with the happy fun ball if we're there. <laughs> That's pretty. Yeah, bring back the early two thousands. That's. Uh, <laughs> What a wild ride. Start injecting the balls. Maybe that's the way we do it. We'll just start. Just put some steroids in in the balls. (laughs) Anyway, yeah. Let's just just shoot them up. The the last thing I just want to throw at you guys. Would you you look at Alfonso Soriano in the beginning of his career and you think about how we analyze hitters now, what would the conversation have been like around Soriano? Would we have had the same sorts of conversations with like 2001 Alfonso Soriano it would have been similar to what we used to say about Adalberto Mondesi before all the injuries. Like, how would the fantasy community of today, how would we have reacted to the beginning of Alfonso Soriano's career? I'm mm. guessing we would have been way off on how good things turned out for him because the walk rate was low, the WRC was low. plus was below like, 100. Think about Bobby Witt, right? Like yeah. we're all we're yes. all stressing about this 300 OBP, and you know. We had Alfonso Soriano had six hundred and seven seven hundred plate appearances basically of a below three hundred OBP. And yes, OBP wasn't his strongest suit, but then he did have some awesome, awesome years in the middle. And those were between ages twenty three and twenty five for Soriano. Bobby Witt Jr. Younger. is twenty two. He'll turn twenty three in June. So it, it, I don't know. Maybe that's the sort of player we would have thought. Alfonso Soriano was. Interesting. And it's kind of funny I to think about. I wonder if Witt could be Alfonso Soriano. He could be. <laughs> only if he gets traded, put only if he gets traded for like Trout, the best player and one of the biggest players in baseball. That's the only way. Well, well, well yeah, he got traded for A-Rod, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that's pretty nuts when you go back and think about that trade. All right, we get to stop. We can't go down the rabbit hole any further. We're already over an hour. We got to like four things on the rundown. This is uh, absolute chaos as it is every Tuesday. That's why I keep making the rundown shorter, and we're still, I still haven't we found still the, can't correct, can't find it, the correct rundown. And test my anxiety, too, because I want to like contribute to whatever I can, but I'm like, DVR, I've learned over the last couple of weeks, like DVR keeps making these really good sheets, and I'm like, we're going to follow it, but we do not complete it. So I'm not even worrying about it anymore. It's like, Just DVR. Prepare for the first three items. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I should just post the the sheet, like you know those old pickleball dads have their podcast outlines that started going viral a couple months ago. Like the the, the old dads that would meet at the bar, the one dad would print off a list of topics. 
And we all looked at it. We're like, that's a podcast rundown. It was just five list items. It was like, <laughs> the Bud most, versus the, Bud Light. The, <laughs> most, <laughs> the most work I did for the podcast today was researching a player we didn't even talk about. We didn't even talk about him whatsoever. So Who? that's, uh, it was the, um, uh, Sean Hundley. Oh, uh, Hundley. When we were doing yeah. Sean, the Sean Hundley question, we didn't even get oh, to yeah. that. Oh, by the way, because we had another question about Hundley, I think. Uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about his arsenal real quick. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, real quick. Just, so I was looking at some old scouting reports, watching some video, and what I found interesting was back in college, looked like one of his big things was he was heavy, heavy fastball. Like it was like 90 percentile, 80, 90 percent. He was a big fastball guy. Obviously, the Rays have got their mitts on him now. But my problem with him, it's like a low 90s fastball. He's got a average-ish slider, um, but he's got c- good command. And I think he just, he can pinpoint. He's eaten up in those lower levels. He's got some really sick numbers, obviously, you can all pay attention to. But like, I'm not big on to him because I don't think, he, I saw him throw like the backdoor slider and a front slide, and it's okay. I don't, doesn't look like he has a lot of break. Fastball doesn't look magnificent. It does have some nice, um, nice horizontal movement on it. But at the same time, I just think this is a heavy fastball guy that's getting away with a lot of stuff at the lower levels. Um, but that's me. I don't know enough about him. That was just rewatching and checking out some scouting reports and be interesting the to see. the opposite of Elvin Rodriguez, who's totally. at the same level or like near nearly the same level. Probably they're going to choose if they have to get, if they're in a pinch, they're going to choose one of these guys to put on the 40 man. And uh, Elvin Rodriguez is the guy who has a big fastball, a big slider, and I think given, you know, their excitement about Bradley and other guys, I think they'll reach for Elvin Rodriguez first. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other name that I discovered digging into the Rays a bit more after yesterday's show is Jacob Lopez. It doesn't really pop up on any prospect lists or anything, but he's a lefty out of the 40 man, pretty big strikeout numbers. So really want to see what that arsenal does. And I think we all know whoever the Rays pick out of that group will exceed expectations. We yeah. don't know. What we don't know is just where the baseline will be, right? The one will it be guy, a guy that's supposed to be okay, that's good or good, who's great, you know, like whatever. It, the, the, and the problem is they don't have enough guys in, in, in outside of AAA or in AAA. The one guy I just keep holding on to if they were to make a bump is watch Mason Montgomery with the Rays. I think he is one of the best of the guys from AA to AAA that's out there. Not saying he will get it, but uh, he's been a little bit of a bump this year, but he had a big move in the last year and a half. So I think Mason Montgomery would be the best of the actual prospects but God knows what they'll do. God knows what they'll do and who'll get hurt next. It's probably a trade. It's probably going to be someone they don't need from the big league roster for two crappy pitchers on someone else's team who become good. It'll be from a so, short. It'll be a shortstop. They'll convert into a pitcher. Yeah. Manny Margot for a reliever. They turn into a starter. Yeah. <laughs> that's the gift that keeps on giving in Tampa Bay. But that's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. Get a question for a future episode. Send that our way. Rates and Barrels at gmail.com is the best email address to use. You can also drop us a comment. Underneath this video on YouTube, be sure to hit the like button, subscribe to this channel if you haven't already done so. On Twitter, you can find Eno at Eno Saris. You can find Welsh at Is It The Welsh. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. We're back with you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.